Welcome to Hummingbird, conversation about identity, Celtic and Métis, healing and wellness, the spirit of place, and the pull of mystery. We linger in conversation about things at the center of our creative work and life. Thinking about family and our ancestors is something that you and I both have as central themes that threads throughout all of our work. I find it's something I think about a lot too. And I guess that makes a lot of sense. The things that that we think a lot about or that we hold on to as we move through our day can become some of the things that we then write about. Early this morning, I was looking at some art by Christy Belcourt online. The more I learn about her, the more I am inspired by everything about the way she uses her art. I find that she's a poet in how she titles her paintings. And so one of her paintings is called our lives are in the land. And I really loved that statement, our lives are in the land. Because when I think about my family and my ancestors and the relationship with family, it's all grounded in place for me. It's all grounded in Georgian Bay, which is the historic Métis community where my family is from. And I'm the first to grow up in southern Ontario, away from the water. I feel that when I'm there and I'm standing on, I call it the family rock, which really could be any granite I refer to as the family rock, and I'm looking out at the expanse of the bay, I feel the connection. I feel connected to the trees, to the moss, to the little plants coming up through the cracks, to the water, to the birds. And it's like I I can see across time and I feel that connection to my family too. It sounds like a homecoming, Jessica, the way you're describing it. A homecoming. And so it's, it's almost like the homecoming in itself is there when you're there, but perhaps... It's more like the, I don't know, I think I said homecoming, but as soon as I said it, I thought, no, that's not quite it. It's something more. Feels like when I think of the phrase, all our relations, and I think about relationship and connection, it's a feeling of deep connection that is so grounded in the here and now and before and to come. It's multi-directional, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, that's it. It's multi-directional. And when I'm in the land, I can feel it when I'm there. But I've also, over time, because of the time that, that I've spent there, I can even just close my eyes and, and picture it and I can be there. Well, it's in your body. It's in your body. It's in your bones. It's in your mind. It's in your heartbeat. And all of that is there for you then when you go inward. But I, but I can't imagine how wonderful that is when you are actually in the place after not being in the place for a while. I know for me too, landscape is really important for, for my journey. And it's interesting because the place that I often write about is a place that I no longer um, have. And that's the quarry, the limestone quarry that uh, I grew up beside. And it has always fueled my writing as much as my the loss of my parents have, and then also the sense too of the quarry being this man-made landscape and devastated landscape because you're drilling things out, you're blasting things out, much like what grief is like, and then it naturally fills with water, so that soothing quality and the way that the 
the hole becomes a vessel for water and then the water and rock become something new and then there's life in water as we know so both of us are connecting to to rock and water i love that i love uh how we keep finding those connections with each other and our stories and part of part of what i was thinking this morning too i was talking texting someone about the show and our work here together and i thought you know we're finding our way one conversation at a time and i feel like that's you and i entering into this with each other is, is how it feels sometimes. And, and then we're, we're learning new things about each other and seeing some of those things that, that are similar and then some of those things that make us distinct. And I find that that's the same with the writing process. You know, you find your way one poem at a time, one story at a time, even one word at a time. And you see what comes up on the page and see that reflected back and then, and then learn from it. Such a gift to be able to engage in the arts in this way, to to explore things. And there's something about writing about the land and the water and my ancestors that in the time when I'm writing about them and when I'm reading about the, them in my own work, <laughs> which <laughs> sounds very narcissistic, <laughs> but uh, when I'm reading about them in my own work, I feel closer to them. Does that happen for you too? It does. It does. And it makes a very moving kind of experience, especially when we are writing about people we no longer have in the physical realm, or even people that we've never met that have a presence in our psyche in some way, or they they fascinate us. And I know you've written about a relative and I wondered if you wanted to talk about that. It's uh, something I find shows up in my writing, but I did bring a poem I wanted to share today with one of my earliest known ancestors. His name is Ezekiel Solomon, and he was the first Jewish man in Michigan. He was very heavily involved in the fur trade and really impacted a lot of what Canada's economic structure became through his early work with the fur trade. I wrote this poem because his story is being shared in a documentary that will be released in the spring of 2023, I think, I think. It's called Search Out the Land, the name of the documentary, and it's about uh, early Jewish Canadians who made an impact. And as part of being interviewed and filmed, when they came here last, this has been in development for quite some time, they, they said I could share a poem. And so I, I, I wrote this poem for that and shared it then, and it hasn't otherwise found a home yet. And I thought this might be a nice place for us to start today. His story is one that I found a long time ago and maybe 20 years ago when I first started unpacking my own family history. More information trickles in every month about him and I've made some wonderful friends and met some wonderful cousins through through that. And, and if you go to my Sunshine in a Jar blog, you search for Ezekiel, the post will come up and my post is nothing fancy. But what's become incredible is over time, there's like 175, 180 comments of people sharing their connection to this ancestor and some of the information that they've revealed. So it's become a bit of a landing spot online for people to share what they've learned and what they know. And, and I feel really grateful for that. Can I just say how much I love the language of a landing spot after our chat about land and so on? Isn't that great how <laughs> phrases just come in like that? They just fly in. <laughs> They do. <laughs> it's that hummingbird energy. 
I know. I'll read now. Search out the water. Near the shoreline, I count stones under waves that push to early days. You search out the land, a European Jewish settler in the 1700s, and I found you first drowning in an enterprise of canoes built by family branches as I search out the trees. Centuries later, visiting the woods, a cave where Pontiac held you captive until you journeyed to Montreal to be ransomed and then free. You return to the water, create community, fur trade vitality. I imagine you paddling months on lakes and rivers to dispatch crews, releasing furs, molasses, rum. Your prayers, were they like butterflies or birds, carrying every portage to Mitch Millimackinac and back each winter to read the Torah among friends until the death of a son, and you realize it's time to search out new roots. Your strength, a consortium of friends, building a synagogue in Montreal, marrying a French Catholic with two names, Bird Woman, Okinabonoskaway, loving children and grandchildren, generations of First Nation and Métis, proudly holding your name, Solomon, your legacy alive. That's why today I search out the water to see your knowing presence as the ripples. Thank you, Jessica, for that beautiful poem. There is so much in this poem, so many aspects of this person and their story and the energy of place and movement and what is left as well and family and connections. Is there anything particular you'd like to to say? Anything particular you'd like to say about it? I held on to his story for a long time before I could figure out how to write about it in a creative way. It isn't easy to try to capture the lives of our ancestors in a poem like this. I just wrote this this past summer, so it's taken a long time to get here. And when I read it now, when I think of the meaning, when we were talking about Is My Grandmother Lonely Too, I think it was called, yeah. the poem about my grandma Laura, there was so much in every line that unpacked a story, a story, a story. And I feel that with this one too. For me, is that the lines unpack a story, a story, some of the things that he had to find his way through, some of the things that he led, some of the legacies that he left behind. For example, the, the synagogue in Montreal still stands today, and he was one of, one of its founding members, and it was the first synagogue in Canada. I don't get into the writing of it so much as I, I really get lost into the stories and how story can ripple out um, like that stone that gets dropped in the water and then you have circle after circle after circle that ripples out. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes so much sense. And when I think about the phrase knowing presence, I think that that really resonates as well. The way that there's this knowing even without actually knowing the physical person, the knowing that comes through the imagination. And as you say in the stanza, I imagine you paddling months on lakes and rivers and then of course the water holding those stories holding the history of people moving through the water and the way the poem is titled search out the water so the sense of finding that and and there's motion in water as we know and there's motion in putting pieces together when we don't know a person's history but only know certain facts and we start to move into those spaces to 
to weave a story, to weave a history through the imagination, through that writing, I would imagine that brought you closer as well. Does that make sense too? Yeah, absolutely. I find that that does happen is, is even when I read the poem, there's, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I do feel like a closeness to him and, and every generation that, that sits between us. It's not just a straight line. Yes. Um, you can feel that in the air around you and in the room as I'm reading right now that comes through it. And I don't know if that's just what happens when we write from a place that's, that's personal and meaningful to us, or if that's something that translates through to the listener or to the reader. Like I always wonder sometimes if something is meaningful to me and I write about it in this way, does somebody else find their way into this story? And can they see themselves in it or make connections to their own their own lives or their own family journey from how they got from where they are today? Does that energy translate across the page to somebody else? Well, it did to me. <laughs> I have to say, I feel a kinship to, to your relative as well. And a story there unfolds for me in moving into this poem. And also interesting too, to think about the space that we are at when we're near the shoreline, we're, we're near water, we're near land and that space of meeting. So we've got the two elements, which I think is really interesting too. And it's almost like the, the past, the present, the different ways that time works on us and on land and the way that water works on land to shift it and change it. But that constant motion and how stories need to to have that motion, but also then to surface. And I think they do surface in certain family members. So they're there for us. And then they just need that special moment of being released through someone like yourself, who who brings the history of this person into the present. And through the art form of poetry has its own rhythm and its own way as it moves. So it's interesting to see what fascinates us as writers and what needs to be told. And I even think going back to Quarry, I have this line that I use from a no uh, the novel Quarry. I have a line from a poem back to the Quarry that I, that starts the, the novel Quarry and it's dive in, turn to water before it freezes. And I think too about that sense of sometimes a story just needs to be told when we go back to Gwendolyn McEwen as well, right? There's a story and mm. um, someone needs to tell it and you needed to tell this one. And I would imagine too, there's more, much more too that that perhaps there could be a series of poems here as well, or other, I mean, there's other relationships within the, the poem as well to explore. So it, there could be more material there for you. Who knows how the imagination will take that. But yeah, it's very, it's a beautiful tribute. And I love how it ends with the word ripples as well, going back to water and energy. And when we think of ripples, the the patterns that they make mm. uh, as we bring language into patterns and it's all kind of moving back and forth. And I, I, I just noticed as you were speaking that the poem's also a circle. So it doesn't look like a circle, mm -hmm. but if we take the last stanza, that's why today I search out the water to see your knowing presence as the ripples. Near the shoreline, I count stones. So when I got to near the shoreline, I count stones under waves that push to early days. Like that's the beginning of the poem. So you could continue yeah. to read the poem from beginning to end and go right back to the top and, and read through it again. And I find that's what relationship with ancestors feels like, is we circle around and around the stories that we know, the pieces that we know, and keep moving through them. And then once in a while, 
there's a new detail that comes in or a new insight or a new a new understanding. Last time you spoke about the silence and shared some pieces around the comfort of silence and also the pain of silence. And in this poem, there's no mention of sound throughout it. Uh, I guess you could kind of hear the paddling. There's not a lot of sound that's happening, but but the silence is implied. When you consider I'm counting stones under waves that push, imagining, right? Thinking there's a connection to prayer. It's it's an inner dialogue that's happening. So Mm -hmm. that's another thing that can happen with silence is, is the inner dialogue that you have. And it gives you the space to engage in conversation, with someone you may not have ever otherwise met. Beautifully said. Thank you for that, Jessica. Yeah. So I have another piece I'd like to share that I feel is connected. And when I when I wrote these pieces, they certainly weren't connected on purpose. It just happens. I, part of it is me. When I want to feel close to myself or to spirit or to the ancestors what I find that I need is, is to, to be near the water, whether it's a river or the lake or an ocean, uh, even a stream. I can feel that. I can feel it through the water. In my book that's coming out this spring, so excited, uh, Bernice and the Georgian Bay Gold, an important relationship in the book is between Bernice, who's an eight years old in this book, and Herma Mare, which is her grandmother. And the book was inspired by my own family Métis story. The character Bernice is inspired by my own great aunt Bernice, who was like a grandmother to me. This is a little piece from the book in the second part of the book where Bernice goes outside with Mamère and Mamère teaches Bernice how to listen for the ancestors. That night after dinner, Mamère says, let's go out. She holds on to my arm as we walk. The sun's melting from sky to water. See, it's calm now. Everything is quiet, she says. Can you hear them? Hear who? It's just us, ma mare. Come with me. She leads me down a different path past the outhouse. It takes us to the northwest side of the island. One minute. I need to sit. Ma mare sits on a big rock, placed in just the right spot for a view of the bay. I haven't been to this rock before. I know. You shared a secret with me. I will share a secret with you. Reciprocity. That's how giving and receiving work, she explains. Is it about the gold? I ask. Sit on this rock with me. She taps the rock beside her. I sit next to Mamere. She wraps an arm around me and squishes. Close your eyes, she whispers. Listen. What do you hear? Waves, wind, leaves rustling. Yes, and what else, she asks. My heartbeat? Yes, and? Your voice? Listen better, Machi. Pay attention. Stretch your ears across the shining waters. She squeezes me closer. Whispers, I ask. Yes, and? I don't know. Listen with both ears, she says. Then in a whoosh, all at once, I think I hear Papere singing. Do I hear Papere? I ask. Yes, Machi. Listen, listen closely and you can hear your ancestors. Hear all your relations, the water and wind, the insects and animals. And once in a while in the stillness by the water, 
the voices of our family. They whisper to us in our hearts. Usually we are too busy or too noisy to hear them. The bay settles as the sun disappears. After Mamer teaches me how to listen for the ancestors, I feel like I'm in the middle of a story with them. Maybe this is what Papere meant when he talked about stories finding me. These voices may have some stories to share if I listen closely enough. We sit quietly a while by the water together to listen for the voices of our ancestors. I wait until Mamere is ready to chat again. In the meantime, praying that the ancestors will help guide me on my adventure to find the gold. They were voyageurs for generations. The voyageurs paddled in large birch bark canoes from Montreal to Mackinac, and much further than that, too. Each canoe was filled with goods they used to trade for furs. We have adventure in our blood. Thank you for that beautiful reading, Jessica. And what a beautiful passage. There's so much in that. So rich and listening, the power of listening and how mare is a guide for uh, Bernice and that sense of impatience. You can feel her sort of, well, what, what's the trick? What do I need to find? What do I need to listen to? And how she's guided to just go deeper and deeper. And in that, then the listening gives her prepare. Did I say prepare right? Is it prepare? Yeah. Prepare. And and then the beauty of his appearance. But then she goes back to the gold. <laughs> so it's interesting <laughs> to see, okay, okay. The undercurrent of letting the moment happen as a as a young eight-year-old, the impatience, and then the sense of gold being part of that too. Or and maybe not recognizing that the gold was what did happen already so uh, just uh, a nod to I think the the sense of sometimes we don't even recognize what gold we have when we're in that space of wanting something concrete when that sense of the inner vision that she experiences and that that beautiful way that that it appears to her and how Mamere guides her to that because there are so many layers to listening and I feel like this is I guess the quarries in my head too with a sedimentary rock, the way that it's layered, the limestone's layered and in, in, in to make the rock and the way that listening is layered as well. And how even as adults, we can be impatient with wanting answers and the listening and going inside. But that stillness needs its own sort of, uh, what's the word? More than respect. It's more of about attention. And, and then I think I love the word reciprocity because in a way to silence then gives us something as we give it in the, in the silence with listening. So that there's an action with listening as well. So it's just so fun to experience characters through what they say and the relationship that is revealed through dialogue and lovely to hear it read aloud. So thank you for the, the richness and how exciting to, to see this book come into print, which is just around the corner. So yeah, beautiful. I can't wait. And this relationship she has with Mamere is really important. Grandparents are really important in Métis households and they're all living together. And she's got her mom and dad that live there as well and the siblings and Papere who has passed away just a couple years before, but they're still grieving him and feeling his loss because he was a big part of the place and of their lives. And I, I really appreciate your your comments and that you, you noticed that 
that there's the gold right there. And all throughout the book, as Bernice is searching for literally gold, because she's just finished reading Treasure Island at the beginning of the book, she's just been reading that. Tom Thompson has spent a night at the lighthouse because he had heat stroke, so he slept there. He leaves behind a sketch that she decides is a treasure map. And so the book is on one level all about her trying to figure out how to read the map and then how to literally find gold so that she can shift their family situation and she goes into all the reasons why she wants to do that. But then on on a whole other level, she keeps having these experiences with her family that as adults, we can recognize that that's that there, that moment with Mamere was gold. A moment that young Bernice would remember for the rest of her life, but given her age, she doesn't know that yet. And that won't occur to her perhaps for another couple decades. And then she'll recognize and look back and see (laughs) that that moment she had by the rock. There's the gold, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'm curious in terms of the process, sometimes the writing process, so much of it is so organic and intuitive that we often aren't aware of what's going on in that sort of way that we can verbalize later but I was curious did, did this scene come easily for you did it did it layer itself into this listening or do you recall anything about before the the scene was the scene in that pre-writing stage or just as you were writing it does anything come to mm-hmm. mind about remembering anything particular when you were writing it yes so when I the wrote as, as you know the book fell out of me quite quickly mm-hmm. I really don't believe that I wrote it I <laughs> I feel like I just watched it unfold and I don't know how to explain it. There was a mystery in how this story ended up in my laptop and it wasn't that it was stolen or taken from anyone else. It, it came it came from somewhere inside of me, but I do feel that somehow the ancestors were at work. And so when I started working on the book, I had outlined 10 stories I wanted to explore and Mamere and the ancestors was one of them. And it was the second one. And there might be eight in the end. I might have landed on eight, but initially there were 10. And when I sat down and wrote this scene, like most of the book, it just fell out just like this. And I was watching it. There's not been a lot of editing to this particular scene from when it was first written. This is just how it came out. I'm not surprised to hear that because it (laughs) does feel so organic, just that sense that we were talking about place and landscape and feeling Mm -hmm. and sometimes as writers we can hit gold and just have these these moments kind of just come through us and we're conduits for them and uh and as writers with the struggle that we often have and know that it doesn't always come to these golden moments we when they do happen we we're pretty grateful right we are but but i but i also want to share that these moments of ease don't come without time and energy put in at another time so i've been carrying around this wish to write a story at the lighthouse since i was a kid i used to write when i was younger and through high school i would try to write stories that took place there and i would get stuck every time i carried around these stories for a long time and I would interview family and take notes and I didn't know what to do with them. So it was almost like having 
a complicated mathematical equation to solve. And I had all the tools, but I was just waiting for that moment of insight. And then it all just kind of, it just happened. It just, all the pieces I had been collecting for, for decades just kind of all fell into place. And recently, I'm sure I've read it on the show, the show but there's a poem in my book, The Thing with Feathers, If I Had Met My Nocum, or If She Had Met Her Nocum, I think it's called. I think the pronouns are she and not I. And that's about a young woman who, what would it have been like if she met her her grandmother and her grandmother takes her out and shows her how to look at a tree and see the energy in a tree. And so this this idea of learning from our grandparents, because mine had passed when I was so young, and, and so what learning I did have came from my great aunts on both sides of my family, on my mom's side and my dad's. But this idea of learning those lessons from our grandparents has always fascinated me, maybe because I haven't had a lot of those moments in my life and I'm so grateful for the time that I did have with in particular my great aunt Bernice on my mom's side and my great aunt Arlie on my dad's side and ironically they both had the same last name Armstrong and they were not related that's just a weird coincidence I always yeah. thought it was bizarre but yeah does that does that answer your your question it does and it makes me think how the creative process has its own time scale its own agenda with how these pieces come together and let us know when they're ready sometimes we think we're in charge but really the process has its own time sort of uh, scale I suppose in terms of and then all of a sudden then yes it's ready all of the inner work that had to take place all of the pieces and the constant sort of churning it with the thought process and the living process and how then then that all kind of comes together to to birth the story yeah and I I want to also thank Jillian Rogerson and Second Story Press too because I feel like if it wasn't for her this book wouldn't exist that's the other thing I've learned is is that we don't do anything on our own so I I feel like the ancestors helped to write this book. And I feel like the intervention of, of Jillian and, and the publisher was super helpful because I had proposed to them a picture book and they had said, yes, we like that. And could you also write a middle grade book? And I thought, I haven't written a middle grade book before. What? Uh, I don't know. She, they said, I think there's more there. And so in the end, the two books were too similar. The picture book's very similar to this, but shorter. <laughs> But there isn't a scene with Mamere and the ancestors, right? Like she wasn't, she didn't make the cut, but in the picture book, but having that encouragement to go deeper into the story and to linger in there and spend time there. I don't know that I, I would have given myself permission to do that just because when you're balancing working full time and writing, it's really hard sometimes to know where do I put the energy? Where do I focus? Because you want to do so many different things and having someone tell you, I think this might be a good focus. That's all they said was could you make this into a middle grade book that was the direction Mm -hmm. and I thought well I'll try and I'm so grateful for that push because I don't know I would have thought of that oh that's lovely Jessica yeah and you're right it's a journey that we do individually as writers and then there are others who help us along and we're really grateful to those people as well I, I I feel the same way about, in particular, Paul Vermeer. She's been my editor for all my poetry books. That person helps push you in certain directions and makes you see different things that you can do and and helps you see the bigger picture sometimes as well with where a project is going. So very grateful to those relationships. And I'm so grateful for my relationship with you. And so with that, 
We'll chat again soon. We're, uh, we're hugging each other, uh, even though we can't see each other. We're hugging each other, listeners, and we're hugging you too. So we're always grateful for you joining us on this journey. Yeah, and we will be back. Catherine Graham is an award-winning writer and creative writing teacher living in Toronto. Jessica Outram is a Métis writer and educator, Coburg's fourth poet laureate, and assistant principal of Indigenous education. The music has been generously provided by Shannon Linton. Connect with us online at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. dot <laughs>